Welcome to The Deep End, a podcast by DigitalOcean. I'm Ihai Akachuku. I'm a software engineer here on the high availability team. And today we got... Dave Worth, software engineer at DigitalOcean as well, on every team. Yeah. And no team at once. It's super weird. Dave just is like everywhere. I was like, what team are you on? He's like, dude, you're like really asking that question. Um, so today we're just going to have like a nice little casual conversation. Start off like, Dave, what have you been listening to recently? Any hot music? It's super weird. I have been all over the map. I've been really stuck on one song. It's called Stranger by uh, Devil Makes Three. It's the track they actually opened with when I saw them in concert and completely hated everything they did in that concert until the week after because I went into the concert having heard their first album and this was their fourth album tour. And so, of course, nothing's changed in, in three albums. It's yeah. going to be exactly the first album and everything was different. And, and no I, Kanye. And no Kanye. <laughs> And I left just pissed off. Like, that wasn't what I came here for. I feel that. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, well, that one song. It's kind of catchy, just, yeah. I'll click on that. And then I listened to it nonstop for like four weeks. So that jam has kind of been in my head. What genre of music are they? Uh, oh, I guarantee you if they listen to this, because they're definitely listening to a technology podcast, uh, they will be mad at whatever definition I give. It's probably like a weird Americana roots music thing. They're yeah, definitely sure like kind of Nashville sound, even though they're from Vermont. Um, Word? Yeah. Do you actually live there? I mean, apparently. <laughs> uh, two people, Bernie Sanders and the lead singer from... Although I think they met in California. The story's are all crazy. It, it's it. nuts. You know. Dope, dope. So, outside of software engineering, what do you like to do in your free time? These days, you I'm... You program in your free time, right? Oh, well, JK. that assumes I had <laughs> spare time. Right. These days, it's like... Ooh, what'd be cool? I'm gonna go work on our Kafka brokers. I'm gonna make sure our messages are great. Um, but nowadays, I'm mostly a father and software engineer. Uh, kids take time. Did you know? You no, because I'm them? only 24. And I don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> you just called me old, and that's okay. Um, no, so I, I spend most of my time doing ridiculous things. I, I've watched Moana about a thousand times. I know. I all watched the songs. it a couple weeks ago with my girlfriend. It was actually a really good movie. It's fucking great. It's so good. The Rock is hilarious. Yeah, it's on point. <laughs> yeah, that's what's uh, up. But I do also know how to sing all the songs with her in the car everywhere we go. As I hear the squeaky voice, I'm mean, squeaky. The demanding voice from the backseat going, "Daddy, play Moana music on your phone. Don't sing." <laughs> oh, I'm a shitty singer. So that definitely is a thing. But that's that's a lot of my activities. Your daughter is adorable, though. She's like a very like cool person. Pretty cool for like however old she is. Three and a half, and she's totally a person. It's this shocking thing. Like, you're not, you're a person. Okay, let's hang out. Look at that kid, and you're like, that kid's going places in life. <laughs> uh, the red hair goes a long way. Where'd she get the red hair? Like, what do you mean, where'd she get the red hair? For a while, I was making this joke, like, we just stole her from Irish parents. You know? It turns out that's not funny. Uh, I was wrong to make that joke. So When did it backfire? Immediately. <laughs> the very first time I made it. Uh, and that they were right. I felt pretty sheepish immediately. I still make it in my head once in a while. But. You just got to, like, draw the Punnett squares out for them and then explain how, you know, genetics work. Do you know about recessive genes? Yeah, my dad's a biology professor. Uh, not you. I'm talking about <laughs> a random person on the street where I'm like, hold up, hold up. I got this I got this sidewalk chalk. Let's draw the Punnett squares out and I can talk to you about this. That would be a baller move. I know, right? Just stop random real. people. Be like, people be like, whoa, <laughs> you know, mind blown. Running away. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about so I guess today what we're going to talk about I'm 
Guess we're going to talk about what? We had to choose a subject, right? And it's like, probably computers, which are literally the worst. So what makes me like computers nowadays, I'm pretty obsessed with this idea of like operating software. Not mm-hmm. just writing software, but making it operable, making it robust, making it measurable and observable. Reliable. All the things. So that's kind of a, a new obsession, right? Like I got the SRE book, uh, Google's SRE book. They gave it; they published it online free. And what's SRE? Uh, it's site reliability engineering. It's kind of a trade that Google invented, and then a lot of the big, more mature houses have kind of adopted, where it's software engineers, but they're not writing code so much as they're writing code to manage software, to observe software, to operate software, where their job is to make sure things don't just fall over, as opposed to writing new features. Yep. So um, I guess, what are some of the aspects of site reliability engineering? So I guess, um, first, it's, it's automating yourself out of a job, uh, right? Like, a lot of times it's, hey, I've been paid, uh, partly, sorry, the background starts in kind of an operations, a traditional operations model, where you have people who are on pager and they they reboot things, they turn it off and on again, the way you do all things with software, Yeah. Um, and, and they're not the authors of the software. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of evolution of that was... Let's have people involved in doing operations, but rather than personally acting to keep things alive, spending their time, yes, doing some reactive work, being paged, disks are full, fix it, whatever, quick, but then writing software to prevent them from having to address that anymore. Or if they don't write software to fix it, at least write software to measure it, write software to to alert on the, the symptoms before mm-hmm. they become outages, before they become issues. So I guess you can say like the whole... Developer operations or DevOps is a subset of SRE. Yeah, I think they're kind of related concepts, related. right? Got it. I mean, DevOps is complicated. It's such a like very like generic, broad term that nobody can really encapsulate. Right. Like, did you deploy your own software? Or did somebody else do it? Well, if you deployed your own software, it's DevOps. I know, right? Everybody thinks that like you know DevOps and maybe automation, but DevOps also is like you know um, just general processes like code review, all that. that Technically falls under DevOps, you know? So that's dope. That's dope. Um, when it comes to site reliability engineering, like, or at least let's talk about the book by Google, what do you think was the most, I like some key points or like the most important points that, points that stuck out to you while reading this book? Four Golden Signals, my favorite chapter. It's so great. And you know, you say, like, what are the four golden signals? Yeah, right? and follow up. That would be fantastic. And can I name them off the top of my head? No, of course not, which makes me really super embarrassed. you got to go read, read those chapters. Uh, right. Man. Actually, I should probably just back up now and be like, oh, actually, I haven't read the book, which is, yeah. is a lie. But um, <laughs> uh, actually, there's there's two things that that actually really call me four golden signals, because it's all about uh, measuring, observability, taking action on information coming from your system, right? That's just like, how do we first emit data that is actionable and then act on data that is actionable. And that's not nearly as obvious as you would think. There are people, uh, uh, somebody on Twitter recently said, unpopular position, I posit that logging is monitoring. No. <laughs> Sorry, I got a reaction. I couldn't agree more. I got in a fight. Charts <laughs> tell you, so somebody actually like, let's talk about this for a second because somebody told me uh, there was a good quote that I saw, like, I had this discussion about Prometheus and it's like, uh, which is metrics monitoring software. It's like, whenever you look at graphs, graphs tell you that something is up, something is going wrong with your so- like software. You can see that there's like a lot of long, like, or and a, a large increase in rate of failures or rate of like, of errors in the application. So you can look at a graph at a glance and be like, oh, wow, something's up. You can't just glance at logs and be like, oh, wow, something's up, unless you have like, you know, superhuman like um, perception of like parsing the text but 
He said, graphs tell me that something's up. Logs tell me what is up mm-hmm. and gets them the finer details so you can debug what's going on and fix it. Yeah, they're so, super complimentary. Yeah. Absolutely, right? Um, and it, but they rely on one another. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. I mean, you can, but you're going to have a bad time. Right, and, and uh, to that point exactly, right, what's the first thing people tend to do with a tool like Kibana, which takes Elasticsearch logs and allows you to do all sorts of analysis? And sure, first you're like, oh, weird, let me look at the errors and the warnings that are coming out of the system when there's an incident, right? Yeah. You probably know that because either the thing is down or even looking at graphs in Prometheus. Yeah. But then what happens is you end up taking those logs and sticking them to the visualized pane of Kibana exactly. and making graphs. And now you're making graphs and you're doing that thing you were doing with Prometheus. Now, they're different graphs. They may be richer in different ways. And, yeah. But yeah, I, absolutely. Um, so I, I do not agree with this particular approach that, that logging is monitoring. Mm-hmm. I think that logging and monitoring, sorry, uh, yeah, logging and monitoring are both elements of telemetry that allow you to understand your system. And let's talk, so you brought up a really good point about telemetry. I know within um, DigitalOcean, like, Telemetry is pretty important, right? We have a lot of different forms of telemetry. Like, I guess something like let's talk about something that you and I both have experiences writing and talk about canaries. Is that cool? Sure. Let's um, talk canaries. And I guess to start off, like let's talk about canaries in the digital ocean context, not in the canary release like um, context that some listeners may be familiar with. So let's start off with that. Sure. So our canaries uh, are not canaries, right? In the usual sense, as you said, um, I re- the Google recently published a nice blog post about their yeah. canary process, which are release canaries. Yep. Or <laughs> you ship something to the public. Does it work? And we usually mm-hmm. we do that as well, but we just tend to call them smoke tests, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're in our pipeline, or they're they're run by engineers in a staging environment, or even a production environment, depending on the maturity of the system and and its impact and its blast radius if it fails. Um, and then our canaries. Um, are more like a canary in the uh, in the coal mine, um, but after you've already been in the coal mine for a while, you're still carrying the canary in the cage around to make sure they're not just falling over, going boom. Yeah, and that's exactly what we have. So we have these kind of timer-based systems that operate DigitalOcean end to end. They actually use um, Godot and Godato, which are these nice wrappers <laughs> to our API. public API. Yep. yep. And they spin up droplets, and they can make some assertions about our droplets in JavaScript, which is pretty a- dope. It's like. <laughs> In JavaScript, but the Canary framework itself is written in Go. It's just running a um, j- VM, a JavaScript VM within the Go context. So you get like, um, sorry, I just killed your vibe, but like, I've been writing these for the last couple of weeks, and like, what's nice about this is that you can write tests using JavaScript, and even though JavaScript by its nature is an asynchronous type language with the event loop, since it's just a VM running in the Go context, you can perform these asynchronous. Um, operations, but they will be performed in synchronously. And even though you're writing JavaScript code, it'll be still synchronous execution. So you don't have to worry about like having all these like nested callbacks or anything like that. Because no matter what, your op- like even if you do have a callback, it'll still be synchronous in a way and still allow you to write reliable or like synchronous software, which is nice. That's yeah, super cool. Definitely did not kill my vibe. Um, it's actually the only JavaScript I've written a do. In Are you serious? A very long time. Yo, and you've like been here for like. Forever. You're like an OG. Um, I wrote some jQuery. Uh, you know all that, that stuff that you guys replaced? Uh, yeah, yeah, that definitely uh, was not me. Um, I definitely helped get kind of modern JavaScript frameworks at DO, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> including React, including Ember. Yeah. You are like, there's a period before I joined, like, I'm like, they're like, oh, what do you use here? Like, for your control panel, you use, like, Ember, you use React. 
like Backbone, back whenever that was popping. But they're like, oh, yeah, we use, like, Ember, and we have React still in some parts, and, like, y'all use them together. <laughs> Interesting, you know? So, is that your doing? No. Um, <laughs> uh, let's let's do a blameful postmortem. Just kidding. No, uh, I, uh, we definitely... Y'all were evaluating both, and then you realized Ember was more in line with what y'all wanted to do. Uh, I, I pushed the Ember in. I, actually, I'm partly to blame, very strongly to blame for the Ember story. Um, the React thing happened... We actually tried Ember for a while, mm-hmm. a much older release of Ember. Like 1.9. Yeah, well before it was even vaguely performant. It yeah. was a disaster. So we, we really liked what we saw. And, you know, based on its like, kind of origin story, it plays so nicely with Rails. We have this huge yep. Rails stack. So Shout out to Yehuda and Tom. Right? <laughs> uh, and, like, that, it was very compelling, but it wasn't fast enough for us. I forget that they, they made a kind of big technological leap where they had, like, a shadow DOM. Yeah, Glimmer. Enough. Glimmer. So That's whenever they had Glimmer, the whole... Glimmer's a rendering engine that powers um, Ember underneath the hood, and, yeah, they've made a lot of performance releases to it, and it's written in TypeScript, and that allowed them to do a lot of performance. <laughs> I did not know it yeah. was in TypeScript. Yo, type languages allow you to do some optimizations that you that are not possible in untyped languages or are way harder to do. So, yeah, it's kind of dope, yo. Yeah. So, yeah, we had, the, like, the pre-glimmer attempt. We liked it, it just wasn't working for us. Most deaf. And then we had this, like, and I don't remember what it was called in React land, but React had kind of an equivalent, much faster... The virtual DOM? Yeah. And it was super cool. Yeah. So we re-implemented the entire create page in it. Um, <laughs> uh, poor first front-end engineer at Dio sat sat them down and said, like, here's your first project. <laughs> Rewrite the entire create page. And oh, just, it was... It was one of the worst. Uh, the fact that they stuck through it was amazing. A total testament That's to their trooper, character. Yeah. Um, and then almost immediately, like, hey, cool, Glimmer. Let's rewrite everything in Ember, except for that one page. Yeah. Uh, so that's that was always fun. I remember seeing a PR, like, after, like soon after I joined, it's like, oh, convert the last page to Ember for away from React. I'm just like, oh, dope. But it's so cool. It's working out. Like, we've been using Ember a lot, and I think it's been working out really well. And the whole, like, full stack approach that it, like, has, and... The framework keeps on just getting better. Like, you know, they have engines, and, like, even though we're, like, a big company with, like, many different projects and teams, like, I think the direction the framework is going is just good for us and, like, good for the way that our engineering organization is structured. Um, So, wow, we got all the way back from... uh, (laughs) And fun story, I actually emailed Tom Dale uh, asking how you could mix and match Ember with... um, Google's JavaScript framework? Angular. Angular. And like, he probably said, like... Oh, actually, he was patient. He was, like... I am... Yo, Tom... Tom's actually my homeboy, and I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's a friendly dude when it comes to that, but if I had asked that, he'd be like, are you trolling me? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that was in his mind, and of course, but um, I actually had a really interesting conversation with another one of our engineers mm-hmm. who liked Angular for certain things and was trying to build certain or it was trying to convince me to build certain types of reusable components in Atlantis which is our our admin dashboard yeah. um, with this nice reusable component written in Angular so you can just drop it on various pages and it'd be fine everywhere I was like yeah but I'm trying to push this to rebuild the same thing in Ember mm-hmm. and and this engineer said yeah you know I think if we're careful and we don't have the two parts of the DOM interact he's like never ever ever try to like make Angular and Ember talk directly yeah and don't use don't do anything stateful in the DOM or anything crazy yep 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 Um, so I went to, to Tom with that idea I was like is this completely crazy as long as they're not trying to share any part of the DOM if they are kind of orthogonal in the DOM would this work? And his response was, yeah, I think so. And here's some advice. It was actually really, really, really cool. It was not... I, in my Shout shoes, out to Tom Dale. I would have, <laughs> someone came to me and they're like, I want 
to use. I want to put JavaScript in Go and control the control panel. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Don't cross the streams. Mm -hmm. Choose one or the other. And that was not his response at all. And that was that was really cool. And it's funny that you just mentioned that because our Canary framework is JavaScript like written in Go or like with a JavaScript VM running inside Go. And here we are. Yep. And, yeah. and you know, the other option is Lua. Yeah, I'm kind of glad we want JavaScript because <laughs> I know JavaScript already. It's weird going from like doing front end engineering to like doing Go stuff, and I'm just like, oh wow, like I'm in Go land, and then it's like, oh, now I'm back in JavaScript land, but still in Go land, kind of. It's like Turtles full circle, all the way down. yeah. It's wild. <laughs> so yeah, type language folks, stop bashing JavaScript. You never know whenever you'll need it. JavaScript's a great lisp. <laughs> you got <laughs> jokes. So let's circle back to uh, observability and telemetry because we've talked about canaries and that got us down to talking about our canary framework at DigitalOcean. But let's talk about another means of um, telemetry and talk about um, – well, first I want to talk about is moderate, monitoring because we had a brief discussion whenever we talked about this logging about Prometheus. And I think it would be helpful to like go deeper into what Prometheus is and the benefits of using it and – Excuse me. How we use it here at DigitalOcean? Yeah, sure. So Prometheus, you know, is a it's essentially a time series database. It's yep. not much more than that, really. It's um, a few kind of key properties. Uh, it is a pull model. Applications that want to have metrics collected for them emit a plain text format on some HTTP endpoint, mm -hmm. usually slash metrics on your application. Um, it's a fairly human-readable uh, format. It consists of names of metrics, uh, labels, so that the same metric can have various submetrics based on these labels mm -hmm. that you can use in this query language later to evaluate, and then floating-point values. And yep. that's kind of it. Every once in a while, configurable by the scraper, or sorry, configurable, um, a scraper comes by, pulls down that endpoint, sucks in the data, puts it in a time series database, and then there's a provided query language that allows you to then take that time series data and evaluate it in many ways, including um, they, there's a built-in graph module in the Prometheus server. Called Grafana. There's right. also Grafana. Yeah. Well, so oh, wait, no, yeah, yeah, Prometheus yeah. server has its own, then Grafana yeah. consumes Prometheus right. metrics for graphing. Yeah. I tend to use the, the built-in one first just to kind of get a, a real, like, it gives you a drop-down of all the metrics that are available, right? Yeah, so I look so at that. Nice. And, and then, then I, I can copy and paste that query to yeah, um, Grafana. What, you know, what labels are there? Today, I was actually building some instrumentation around our, around our Redis instances, mm -hmm. and we have... Uh, the terminology in Prometheus is an exporter, yeah, right? Yeah, I was going to ask about so that. So it's what takes some ap application that may not have native uh, Prometheus data types, um, consumes whatever metrics they emit in some other format, yep. and converts them to Prometheus metrics. You can get, like, literally if you Google for anything, like, MySQL exporter, Postgres right. exporter, uh, probably, like... I think somebody wrote like a wife like Wi-Fi exporter like literally you can like make an exporter for everything. One of our engineers here, Carlos, had a slide on like a he was giving a talk on Prometheus. He was just like had that uh, slide with Oprah that gave for Oprah. It's like you get an exporter, you get an exporter, you get an exporter. <laughs> Everybody gets an exporter, so it's pretty dope. That's classic, Carlos. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, what's kind of fascinating to me is these are it's, it's every constituent part of Prometheus is very very simple. Yeah, um, it was just it, you know the little bit of lineage here is that um, Google had Borg, which was their cluster management system. Mm -hmm. Borg had Borgmon, Borg monitoring, um, mm -hmm. and then a bunch of people left Google. I guess that happens. Uh, went to SoundCloud and were like, you know what, we miss, <laughs> we miss Borgmon. Yeah, we have all these other things we have to monitor. Let's reimplement that. And that how Prometheus was born? Yeah. Oh wow! Today I learned. That's yeah, cool. there we go. Um, I met Bjorn while I was in Berlin. Actually, sorry, well, I was in London, actually, uh, and who's one of the people on that team. And then I 
totally hunted down the rest of the Prometheus team at KubeCon last year. Kind of embarrassingly, I was like, I'm new to Prometheus, and these are my graphs, and they seem wrong. Tell me why they're wrong. This fanboy over here. And they totally they, were incredibly patient with me and helped me understand why I was wrong and, and helped me configure my histograms. And and that's the best, like, like I think that's, like, the best way of being, like, you know, an open source maintainer because you probably get, like, hundreds of questions, like, about what they're doing and, like, how to make it better. But, like, it takes patience and, like, you know, empathy. But it's nice because, like, I bet you they were felt like rewarded by it just by saying like, oh wow, somebody's using it and like seeing somebody who's so like in like like excited by Prometheus and wanting to get better at it and all that. So that's dope. That's really, really dope. One thing that's oh, dope. Sorry, let's talk about the like uh something I want to make sure we don't miss about Prometheus is like you know, Yes, exactly. Let's come back to that because the one thing I think is important for people who aren't familiar with Prometheus is anyway, I said there's all these uh, simple constituent parts. Absolutely. The problem is composing them meaningfully is actually very, very complicated. Very complicated. The data types um, are, in theory, fairly simple. There are counters, which are monotonically increasing values. No, I just had to struggle with this. There this are week. gauges that go up and down. So yeah. a gauge is great for like um, free disk space, right? It goes up and down as files are added and deleted. Uh, but a counter is great for like uh, uh, requests counting. Yeah. Right? They um, talk about functions like sum, rate, increase, exactly. yada, yada, yada. And then there's like two other kind of aggregate types. There's. Um, Summaries and yep. there are histograms. Yep. Uh, one thing people suffer with, and I, I struggle with a lot. I've got a math degree, right? Like histograms are an obvious thing. Uh, in uh, quote obvious, mm. you can't see the scare quotes, but yeah, there are yeah. definitely scare quotes. Uh, but a histogram in Prometheus is actually um, a, a set of time series that all also monotonically increase. There's, there's a few constraints, and they're kind of complicated. Summaries yeah. are closely related, um, but being able to operate on these things in meaningful ways takes not only reading the documentation a lot and thinking really hard about um, what you're trying to measure and what values are meaningful. You have to kind of conduct experiments, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> forge some data, look at the metrics endpoint, see the numbers are what you expect, and then go and build the graph and see if the graph you're building matches your expectations, right? Yeah. This is kind of a hard process. Uh, there's a huge learning curve. And when I was talking to some of the SoundClouders about that, I said, you know, I was at KubeCon, they were doing a special Prometheus track. And I was like, that annoying kid in the front row was like, yeah. total fanboy because they helped me through the day before. Like, ooh, ooh, call on me, call on me, yes, call on me. <sighs> Thank yeah. you. Hi, big fan, uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, yeah. And I asked, like, so um, do you guys want, do you, you guys, I've got to break that. Do, do y'all, do y'all SoundClouders, uh, uh, intend on kind of opening, uh, creating a, a set of cookbooks, like some some standard oh recipes Sorry, for measuring. <laughs> hey, hey. Some way, but some way that people who are less familiar, like, so lessen the learning curve. Yeah, they have examples in their docs, right? And they're they're fairly isolated. There's a lot of things to take in in the documentation, and that's like I wholeheartedly agree. Like I'm lucky. I've learned Prometheus just through having a lot of people here to have like use Prometheus and to have I can ask questions with like. Like, I just ask them questions and, again, like, teach me, like, all about Prometheus. And there's a lot of good code examples as well and other product, like, other services I can look at. I'm like, oh, I need a Prometheus, like, uh, exporter for, like, this Go-like service. All right. Well, here's a good example of it. Yeah. Tweak that a little bit. Put it to your use case and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. But not everybody has that benefit, right? Exactly. And the response was, we're not providing the free cookbook. And why aren't we? Because we need people to understand understand, not to copy and paste. Because if you copy and paste and don't really understand, what that means is you can create dashboards and, and 
uh, even mental models of the performance of your system that are incorrect and will lead you down bad paths. Interesting. So one thing that one of our, actually, technical employee number one at DO, uh, Jonas, said to me a while back. Wait, he was? Yeah. Oh, today I learned. Well, all right. <laughs> the the history, the DO history lesson yeah. embedded in the rest of the talk. Um, yeah, he came to Techstars. That's with dope. Them. Yeah, so uh, he said something like, we as engineers, not just at DO, but as yeah. engineers um, are accustomed now to things that make us more productive without having to understand. Good examples are things like Rails, right? I was, about, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to be the one to say it. So oh, I'm glad well, you did. And I, I'm definitely... Um, Neither a Rails fanboy nor a detractor. I've written a lot of Rails. I think it's got a bunch of very valuable use cases. I think really good software can be written in Rails. Yeah. And I don't think that Rails is magic. It isn't. You just have to know what the, how the middleware are performing, what's going on under the hood. Sure. But the, it, Jonas's point was we were so accustomed to those things that get us pretty far pretty fast that we tend to rarely kind of sharpen our tools and get deep into the ones that we rely on. Mm-hmm. And this is a good example of that, right? Like if you get really, really good at Prometheus, really, really understand the functions, the operators, and the model itself, you can be very, very powerful with it. But you just can't do much without doing that in Prometheus. Mm-hmm. It kind of forces us to sharpen our tools. But in so doing, the mental model you build around your application while trying to learn to measure it within Prometheus does two things. It makes your metrics really good, really meaningful, because you have to think about them a lot. Yep. And it makes you think about the behavior of your software, because to create the experiments you need to generate these meaningful graphs, you have to think really hard around the way your software works. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a really beneficial cycle, but it's the exact opposite of our very short-lived pull request, just get it done ship the next feature, build them together, make them composable model mm-hmm. software development, it makes you kind of get deep, 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 deep up front and get the huge return on investment in the long run. Most def. I agree. Very valuable. Yeah. That's a dope, uh, wow, lot to take in. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Switching gears. So while we're still on the Prometheus track. Prom alerts? You want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, that's all I was thinking. Yeah, next one. Because we, it ties into, like, what we're talking about canaries. Because, like, we can have, like, these canaries that run continuously and tell us, What's up with, like, our software? If something's going wrong with one of our services, like, um, oh, wow, I see that, like, request in this region or this data center taking, like, forever for, like, create to, like, destroys. Um, What's up with that? You know, like, it's kind of useless how, like, you know, like, I think it's interesting, like, talk about prom alerts and how they can tie in to letting engineers or, like, you know, relevant parties know what's going on and that something's up. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's uh, talk about that alerting uh, feature of Prometheus. So I'm not really sure when Prom Alerts was added. So one thing to also know about Prometheus in general is that um, semantic versioning is a thing, and new versions change uh, add great deals of functionality. A lot, yeah. Like uh, I discovered, new major versions, right? Yeah. And I discovered just today that the version that's scraping our Redis's is old enough that it doesn't have instantaneous rate, so I don't get through oh, the irate. Yeah, yeah, irate. Wow, yep. you're oh wow, it's on like an old version of Pandora. Pandora. Yeah, is old. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that because I was like, ooh, let me not use this one. Let right. me get a new one. Yeah. Um, so the funny thing about Prom Alerts is another simple composable unit on top of an already simple composable system yeah. is you literally generate some existing. Prometheus query, mm-hmm. and then you add some threshold. So, for example, exactly. if you, you have some, some kind of time series that uh, oscillates a, a great deal. And so a good example would be disk space, right? Yep. And you would say, um, just plot for me the time series of disk space. And then you might say, well, I want to know when it's less than, like, say, 5% of the drive size mm-hmm. or, or 
maybe some fixed number, like when it gets down to less than five gigs free or something, I want to be alerted. This reminds me of, uh, what is it called, Nagios or whatever, or Nagios? How do you pronounce that? Nagios. I th- I, you know what's funny? I was the first non, uh, like, sorry, I, I, I was joining their core team at one point. I helped work on their, like, second-generation uh, gateway, uh, open-source software. Yeah. Um, I, I knew those guys pretty well. They were really nice. I actually almost went to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, super great team. <laughs> Your editor's going to love that. Um, so, uh, super great team at Najee. Yeah. Although, did I ever once ask them how they said it? This is probably a GIF-GIF thing, right? Yeah. I mean, there's only one way to pronounce that. It's GIF. Uh, but, 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 that it's GIF. It's it's GIF. Everyone in the room GIF. is shaking their head. It's GIF. My best buddy says GIF, and he stands by it. And they even edited the Wikipedia page to say GIF is optional. I'm like, that's nonsense, but whatever. Oh, so, did I ever once ask them... Nagios versus Nagios or Nagios. There's a bunch of ways you could say it. Yeah. I, I don't actually know, so I'm kind no, of embarrassed. It's all um, good. But like, so I guess like, how is that like? I guess what's the difference between prom alerts? Is prom alerts dependent on? Um, so I guess prom alerts is different from that fundamentally in the sense that it's relying on Prometheus exported like exported data by Prometheus for a set rate. Um, so like, you know, f- where it's five minutes, 30 minutes, whatever duration, and like, then they'll send an alert out, but like, does, does, um, Nagios, Nagios, however you want to pronounce it, tomato, tomato, does that actually go onto the physical system and look at it like that and then alert that way? So you actually bring up kind of fundamental, very interesting thing we probably could have started with, which is Nagios is kind of a last generation monitoring tool, still has a lot of value and a lot of context. Because I had never heard about it until I joined DO. Okay. I was looking at the cookbook, so I'm just like, oh, okay, this is new. I used Nagios a long time for a lot of things. I've got not a single bad thing to say about Nagios. Most deaf. The, the reason that Google was kind of building Borgmon and why SoundCloud went with the Prometheus model yep. is that the polling model of Nagios doesn't scale to. Ridiculous capacity, like not Talk just capacity, yeah. quote, web web scale, which is you know your my startup on Heroku is like getting some hits, but uh-huh. like proper crazy scale that nobody, including myself, have ever worked at, right? Or not? Nobody. Are you working at it Google. right now? We're not. We're not. We're not Google a, scale, right? That's and that's my point. Like yeah. we are scaling, and we're we are we're yeah. doing really good things, but we're not Google scale. Most Google scale is just absolutely crazy, and and you know other companies are this, at the same Facebook, level. Facebook, like Google, Facebook, Twitter. Amazon, Microsoft, just big companies like et cetera, like you know, they're at that scale. Yeah, and we're gonna be there, but we're it's not today, yeah, right? not yet. Um, you know, but even we are steps. well beyond the scale that Nagios could deal with. Yeah, um, exactly. We were actually seeing incredible delays. So there are ways to make Nagios work. There's no doubt, but it takes kind of a lot of extra moving pieces. And mm-hmm. You kind of have to make it work, and yep. you can do it. You just have to think hard about the way your Nagios uh, setup works and. For what we're doing, especially, Nagios is, in a lot of ways, more of a system monitoring mm-hmm. framework. But then we're also tying it, so, like, speaking, thinking about it, just, like, the way Nagios works, it's like, you know, I worked on an application that uses, like, you know, Nagios modern thing, like the Georgia Community application, but then working on new services, you know, they're running in, like, Kubernetes, right? And I don't think Nagios maybe, doesn't, can Nagios tie into that, like, new wave of software, but it's just easy to, like, maybe plug in Prometheus to the Kubernetes framework itself and export metrics that way and use that for alerting. Yeah, and you can definitely monitor Kubernetes-deployed applications with Nagios. Um, the manner of it would be, you, you would 
build application-specific monitors for Nagios yeah. to go, say, hit a health endpoint or something. So it's, it's, those are compatible. It just doesn't... There's this event polling loop that happens in Nagios that just doesn't scale in the same way. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, Nagios is great for monitoring disk on on some number of hosts. And, and I was going to say a hand sale, a hand full of hosts, but that's not fair. You can, thousands of hosts is yeah. tractable, right? But you can do the same kinds of things with Prometheus. Yep. And even more to the point, with Prometheus, you can get a much r- different and richer data set in the form of a time series that allows you to do monitoring, say, watching for disk to get, the, the use disk to be too great or you know, free disk to be too little. Mm-hmm. Um, and also out of that get kind of second-order metrics. Yep. See trend lines. You can start kind of doing deeper analysis. And to do that with something like Nagios, you would have to take those pol- those values from these monitors and import them into a time series database exactly. as a secondary phase. Yeah. And then build that rich, da- rich data set. And you get that for free with Prometheus. That's dope. See, so yeah, for our viewers, our listeners, sorry, um, check out Prometheus. Um, it's pretty dope. Good way of, like, upgrading your monitoring game or just telemetry game for your software in general. Um, it's pretty hype. I'm like, I actually love it. It's pretty dope. And hope y'all have learned some valuable lessons about using it. And I guess, like, another aspect of telemetry that I kind of want to, like, discuss before um, this ends is let's talk about distributed tracing. Oh, damn. You're talking to the wrong guy in some I know. Else. I wish Antoine was here because he's, like, the mastermind behind, like, all things tracing. I'll just call him. He can just step in for me. He's only in Japan. I know. Now. He's probably asleep. I don't know what time it is in Tokyo right now, but it's actually 13 hours ahead, I think. So, yeah. It's tomorrow. He's probably waking up right now. <laughs> uh, no. But tracing is, like, you know, we all use it, right? Like, we use it within my mm-hmm. product um, that I'm working on, um, and we use it in pretty much a lot of services here. So, so why do we need detracing? Why do we need detracing? Because when you have a microservices model, right, you want, like, you could rely on Prometheus for every single service and see what's happening like within each service and their calls to other service, but it's hard to like wire together. But distributed tracing, what happens is you can make these calls, like you can wire it up, especially in Go to the context and just pass down that context between each service. And with distributed tracing, you can see how long each request to each microservice like that, like that are talking to one another takes where it errors out at or where something goes wrong and makes it easier for just visualizing what happened. So you can just walk down this graph. So if you've ever gone into Google Chrome, opened up the network tab and seen how um, the request cycle goes through in the networking tab for every single request on a web page, distributed tracing is kind of like the same thing, only in the sense that it tracks the request from service A all the way down to service like X, Y, or Z. And if something goes wrong along the way, it can also tell you what's up with it and how long it took. And you can do the same thing with Prometheus, but you have to do it like wire it up a lot, like yourself manually. And I don't know if it's because we have a really good abstraction around tracing that it's easy to import into all of our services or what, but it's become really helpful for like debugging what's happening in our services. And like you can just go to a dashboard and be like, oh wow, like there's a really huge spike in latency to this service, like at this point. And it makes us realize like okay and i also can show you like you know requests per second and like depending on what service you're using to like visualize it whether it's like zipkin um what is it Lightstep. Lightstep is another one i think like um benefit but like i don't know would you define it differently or like the benefits of it i would only add a couple of things yeah um, let's hear it so the thing that distributed tracing gives you that you don't naturally get from something like 
Prometheus is Prometheus operates on kind of aggregate time frames. So you can see that your 99.9th percentile is 500 milliseconds for your service, and your average or, or your median, depending on what level of statistics you care about, uh, is, say, 30 milliseconds or something. And that's yeah. really valuable. But that gives you an aggregate story. Um, and when you see, wow, for five minutes, requests, all requests were taking six seconds, yeah. which is a huge outlier, you don't get to see out of that what the request body was, was. right? So what yeah. caused that? Now, is it database load? Maybe you look at database graphs so you can correlate. Yo, you just remind me, I need to add, like, that tracing calls to, like, my database queries and go. Because that, like, go 1.8 added that context to the queries. Like, did. You could actually cancel queries in flight in 1.8. Which is blows my mind. Sorry to interrupt. You just remind me. No, no. That. All I'm good. I'm going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you sometimes need to know. Wow. Oh, either that request failed. Yeah. And what was that request and what path did it take to our system? So a request level statistic. Mm-hmm. And not just statistics, but information about it. You can the attach re- anything to it, whether it's the error message, the body, all this kind of info that lets you further drill down and see what exactly went wrong. And in a lot of ways, distributed tracing ties together things like Prometheus, things like logging. Yep. And and by doing so with a request ID. So there's some request ID in a header, whether it's HTTP or in, the, in a context, or, or even in like a header envelope in gRPC or something. Yep. Um, and if that request ID is also in all of your logs, in your structured logs, you cross search, uh, yeah, you can follow the trace. You can see that it turns out for some reason system X was failing really badly at this time, and it took... 10 times as long as it usually does, but you can talk about a single request request granularity yeah. as opposed to the aggregate behavior of the system. And, you know, If you wanted to look at how long a single request took with Prometheus, yeah. you'd have to add it as a value on a label, yep. and your time series just get out of control. Exactly. And the, the cardinality of your time series just get out of control. We just can't do that. So don't include request information in your Prometheus time series. Yeah. It's going to be aggregate information. Like An example would be success, success status of some metric is, is yep. a perfectly reasonable thing to include in a label because you're going to have uh, you know yes uh, success failure or maybe some weird um, retry state mm-hmm. right but there's, that's only three series it's not one per request because when you're going to be web scale I'm talking ten or twelve requests per second I'm kidding uh, you know you're going to have enough requests that the time series are going to blow up and you just can't do it yeah and distributed tracing allows you to kind of glue all that together by keeping that meta information in headers or in a context. Um, for those of you listening who are not gophers, contexts are a really neat idea, really complicated concept. I definitely recommend reading the context documentation. Whenever I read that, I was just like, what the? Uh, like, it, my, my mind was blown. Like, I was just like, what the hell? Like, is this, like, like genius, like, in terms of ideas? Just, like, being able to cancel things that are in flight, like, whether it's, like, just arbitrary requests, like, whether it's, like, an RP, like, you know, via RPC or something like that, or, like, you know... HTTP, yada, 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 like, all these calls. It's just, like, was pretty dope, like, a, just dope as a concept in general to have. They don't play super nicely with certain asynchronous behaviors. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't gotten bit, like, or shot in the foot by them yet. So so Google hints at all sorts of cool things in their documentation. I recently had to deal with this problem exactly. I haven't read Effective Go yet. I'm, like, always look at it, and I'm just like, this is way too long. So I'm, like, putting it off until the very last second. The concurrency memory model documentation they have, which starts with, if you're reading this, you're probably trying to be too clever. Yeah. And then it's, like, 30 pages of absolutely freaking dope ways of reasoning about concurrency and memory in Go, in Go is really fun. Um, yeah. They do that really well. Uh, but in, in the context docs, they totally have all these hints to things that we don't have and are not open source. One is like context.to do allows static yep. analysis tooling to trace these contexts. I'm like, 
which static analysis tooling because I don't have that. Now, it might just be that I don't know about it because I'm actually a fairly new gopher. Yeah. Um, but when I've asked around our much more experienced gophers, all of them are like, no, we don't have that tool. Uh, but here's a great example. GRPC calls. Yep. Um, if, say, the last thing you want to do with a uh, is asynchronously send off some metrics, emit a lifecycle event to a Kafka or to a Rabbit or some other queuing system, but something that shouldn't hold up, say, the return of the value to the user. Right? You don't want to impact yeah. the user experience, but you do want to do some kind of post-processing work. Most of. If that post-processing work should have a context, you know, to carry the tracing information. We actually did some work to carry the tracing headers across lifecycle buses. Yep. Right? But if you want to do that asynchronously, you would say, oh, sure, I'll sort in a Go routine, which is just an asynchronous function. Yeah. Uh, that's a very bad description for strict gophers. I apologize, but for everybody else, I think it's a reasonable memory or reasonable mental model. Yeah. Uh, if you do that and pass the context, that context, the second that uh, gRPC returns, gets canceled. So, so that's bad. When did you get bit by that? Immediately, luckily. Because like, it happened instantaneously. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going on here? So I did write what I was originally calling a detached context that throws away the uh, yeah, total air quotes that throws away the the dun channel so it doesn't get cancelled that seems like a like super sketchy dangerous yeah. thing but it allows that context to still carry the tracing information into an asynchronous uh, uh, method or in, into a go routine and not get lost so anything Hold you on, do pause, there though, but thinking about it couldn't you just wrap it in a closure and pass the context down that way still gets cancelled seriously yes oh wow I need to learn more about code routines. I've read the pipelines like post, but I'm like, I've read it like 50 like, times. Yeah, like, Anton was just like, yo, dog, read this. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, I, I basically, we have a few like kind of de facto go to very good uh, mentors and teachers yeah. who are also very good gophers. And I tend to come to them with like, here's a pull request. I believe it to be a software crime, but I believe it to be a software crime in the right direction. Yeah. Help? And and they are very, very helpful. Um, and it's, it, half the time, it's things like that. Like, I want to build this post-processing pipeline of workers yeah. that are, like, asynchronous and scatter-gather, and it's hard. Yeah. So, that's dope. So, I guess wrapping up, we're just going to talk about, like, to resurface what we discussed in this episode. We talked about... Um, telemetry, or well, one, we started off talking about site reliability engineering, or SRE. Um, peep that book by Google. It's free and online. Um, we also talked about Prometheus and monitoring. You can check out their site. I think it's prometheus.io. Yes, I believe so. And you can check them out for your monitoring solutions and like learning about alerting. And then lastly, we talked about distributed tracing. Um, you can check out the open tracing protocol at opentracing.io. Um, other companies that allow like this software as a service around um, tracing would be Lightstep and Zipkin. So look those both up. Um, this has been another episode of The Deep End. Thank you all for listening. Um, once again, thank you, Dave, for being on the episode. Thanks for tolerating uh, uh, yeah, me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and I'm Mihai Akachuku. We'll catch you all next time. Peace. Bye.